Hello and welcome to this episode of Women in Finance podcast. If you're new to the show, I hope you remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any new episode. My guest today is Andrea Fernandez, the co-founder and CEO of Vitamin, a financial platform focusing on providing women with guidance and tools to manage their wealth. Vitamin launched earlier this year and already provides online courses aimed to build financial knowledge. Before starting Vitamin, Andrea had an illustrious career spanning from equity research in New York to head of European corporate strategy at Allianz in Germany. In this conversation, we unpack Andrea's impressive career, which led to the founding of Vitamin. We also speak about her experience crossing the Atlantic to start a new career and a new life in Germany. It was fun to hear about Andrea's own cultural discoveries once in Germany, but what I enjoyed most was learning how she is building Vitamin to be the platform of choice for women looking to learn more about managing and investing their money. Please enjoy my conversation with Andrea Fernandez. Andrea, such a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me to join today. Let's start at the very beginning with your background and how you made your way to the world of finance. So I'm originally from Costa Rica and I was, I was born there, but lived there only the first 12 years of my life. And then because my father was in development, I spent time living in different countries across Latin America. And from very early on, I mean, I've always been really inclined to numbers and love numbers, but from really early on, I already had quite some responsibilities at home around money. I am the oldest of two with a big gap between my sister and I. So I kind of was a single child for a while and my dad and my mom were busy at work. And so I had some responsibilities at home. My dad was also in finance and, and accounting in his career. So he basically gave me the responsibility to pay the mortgage for our home every month and the bills for the phone and the electricity. And At that time, there were no electronic bills. So I had to go every month to the bank and the two companies that where you had to pay this at the cashier with either checks or cash. So from early on, I got familiar with that and responsibilities around money. And with time, I developed kind of a natural tendency for that because my father always involved me sort of in his topics and decisions. And so when I was in high school, which at the time we were living in Mexico, I had already kind of defined clearly that I wanted to go to a business school. From early on, I thought that business is a really great place to add value to society. I really had that as a goal when I was younger or in high school. And so I looked for a really strong finance school in the U.S., decided to go to the U.S. because my parents were moving again probably soon and so it was a good place for me to be for four years for college and I got lucky and decided to go to Wharton which is a finance undergraduate school in the U.S. so I studied finance and entrepreneurial management because I always wanted to have my own company and always admired business owners and the work they did so yeah so I started doing that for four years and then after being in Edwarton I went to Wall Street which is where I started my finance career basically and worked there at JP Morgan for a few years. What a great story from your early childhood do you think this has played a, a more significant role later on for you besides teaching you to be responsible and introducing you to money? How do you think those early, very early responsibility tasks influenced you later on? 
definitely it helped me to have more discipline on the financial side. So to be very transparent, when I went to college, you know, my father gave me a budget every month that I had to manage on my own. And he didn't mind what I spent it in. He just wanted me to track it and plan what I spent the money on. And so I have journals of my expenses in my college years. And I guess that really helped me to sort of start that discipline. And, you know, that was the first time that I, in a way, managed my own money because I was on my own. And then he also was always very good managing his own money. And I learned that from him. So I started investing basically right after college in different things and, well, mostly stocks and some real estate funds. I mean, that definitely influenced me. I think it was a combination of my early interest in it, my father probably motivating some of it, which, you know, I don't know if that would have happened. I I often say if I had had a brother, but, you know, he just gave me a lot of responsibility from early on because I was the the oldest one and and the one who was there. Uh, And he was really always very supportive in any case on career topics and, and just development, personal topics. Yeah. And I think that set up a strong baseline for me. Hmm. Let's go back a little bit to your early days on Wall Street. So I'm curious how that experience was for you. Once you were there, what did you learn? What were some skills you picked up? And also, was it what you hoped for? I didn't have a lot of expectations at that time in my like very early 20s because I was very focused on growing and learning. So for me, that was mostly what I was interested in, right? Being there, growing, learning. And I, I mean, I think it was an awesome experience. I always look at it very fondly because I first started my career in private banking and I was working with the Latin American team. So at that point, I mean, I learned that it was always learning, intense learning curve the whole time I was there, I would say. The first two years, I worked basically with Brazilian clients and I learned a ton about the different types of asset classes and the different type of investment products that we basically sold to our clients. So at that point, I had to do my series seven and 63, which are basically regulatory tests that you need to pass in the US to be able to sell certain types of products and like IPOs and equities and these kind of things. So it was constant learning. I started, I think then, or right after my, the first two CFA tests, the charter financial analyst tests that I, I did. So it was always constant growth at that point. You know, it was what I was dedicating my time to a lot of growth at work and off the job. And ongoing growth. And so that was really, really fun. And then I moved on to equity research where I was working specifically with an investment analyst and equity research analyst who covered conglomerates and oil and gas companies. And so I learned a ton, not only in terms of more in-depth financial skills, valuations, modeling, and all of this stuff, but also the different types of businesses because conglomerates you know, are very complex businesses, especially in Latin America. These families own from, you know, pork production to porcelain production to fiber optic cable to cigarettes. So it's it's very, very varied. So that allowed me to learn about many different businesses and how like the businesses were driven also to understand a lot more on the kind of financing side of the actual companies themselves, etc., And it also taught me a lot of discipline. I mean, I was already very disciplined, but I mean, working in Wall Street, you have to be really disciplined and it's quite intense. But I think these companies are just really great drivers of personal growth. I worked with great people, super professional people. And so I enjoyed it mostly, I would say. And then when I was 
basically in my equity research time, I started to realize, you know, this is very interesting. It's, a re it's an interesting career. But when you're an equity research analyst, you become very, very specialized in covering a, like a certain group of companies or a certain industry sector, et cetera. And that's pretty much, at least at that point, it felt to me like that's kind of what you do for life, right? You may go from one bank to the other covering the same companies or something like this. And I realized that I needed more diversity in the future for me, but also that I wanted to really learn how to drive companies from the inside and lead them and get them to do things as opposed to sort of tell them what to do from the outside. And so that was my motivation for shifting. Mm. You went for uh, to business school, right? From that? Yeah, exactly. So after four years in Wall Street, I decided to go to business school and to take off those, those two years and yeah, go take a different perspective or gain new perspectives, I should say. And I actually focused on, I mean, I applied to several programs, but my favorite one was, my top pick was Harvard because they have a really general management focus. And I thought I had already done quite a lot of finance, both at Wharton and in Wall Street and sort of had those skills. So I really wanted to learn more about leadership and managing companies. And I thought the case method was a really great opportunity to do that, which is a method used at Harvard. So I decided to go to Harvard Business School and I was there for two years and was in the middle of the two years that I sort of refocused and wanted use the opportunity to try something different. Which led you then to an operational role after the MBA. So do speak a bit about that. And also just very curious what sort of lessons from your investment banking days you could apply on the operational side. Yeah, definitely a very interesting change for me. I went to Colgate-Palmolive, one of the largest global companies focused on, on consumer products and quite old and established, I would say, in, in a positive way, because they're like a great company, actually. And I did the summer internship there and decided then to take their full-time offer because they had a really great, this global management training program that they had, where you could basically in the first year do different rotations. And the first rotation was in sales. And I went to live in Arkansas. I chose to go to Walmart because they are the largest retailer and the largest customer for at least Colgate back then. And so it was like a super interesting experience personally to live basically in Arkansas because I had always lived in the Northeast of the US, the time I had been in the US. And then also just to really learn about Walmart and to learn about kind of the point of sale system and how they run the whole business. I really enjoyed that time. It was very different. And then I went on to global business development, which was more focused on product development across the globe. And so I actually worked on toothbrushes. We were defining the portfolio or the evolution of the portfolio of toothbrushes for the professional channel, which were dentists. So I actually remember doing coming to Germany back then and doing interviews with dentists and going to Switzerland and things like this. So those were three months of that. And then I went to brand in Palmolive Dish Liquid. And then I was basically staying in the brand team afterwards. And so I think I've always been quite analytical and I was very number oriented. And actually Colgate has a very number oriented approach or rather analytical approach to brand management as well. And that's something that was already very useful. And since I had been covering the conglomerates, which had, you know, different type of production companies, if you will, or, and also retail, it was interesting because I had some of those insights that I brought in 
And I learned a ton. I learned a lot about how these companies are run, how product development happens, at least on a consumer end side, you know, gathering customer insights for product development purposes, launching new products, working with the different retailers, promotions, and all of these different topics. Media, actually, because we we had the media plan and that was part of my role and then helped with advertising topics, working with the agencies. So yeah, a ton of different topics, just super fun in some ways, but I also realized it's a very structured company. And so I realized, you know what, maybe this is a little bit too structured for me right now. Timelines were quite long, like, you know, you in order to launch a product, it was a three-year process or, you know, a new label was a nine-month process. So it was a bit slow for me, but a great company still to this day. I have a lot of colleagues or friends that are from there. And so, yeah, that was that path or that step, I would say, on the path. Did the move to Fresh Direct, which is a smaller, more nimble company, did that come from your desire to join a less structured, let's call it, type of organization? Or how did that move come about? Yeah, it was a combination of things, actually. But I basically started to look for a new role. And of course, the first thing was, okay, let's look at some other consumer product companies. Are they any different? And then I realized, no, I was like, they're all great, but... I was going from something like that to something very similar. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I looked for other companies that were maybe more nimble, like startups, and thought it would be good to give it a try. I met the folks at Fresh Direct through a connection, a good friend. And so it really felt very good. And so I started there as, at the. I actually started as director of merchandising mm -hmm. in the second half of 2006. And as happens in startups often, quickly things were shuffled because we had to deal with some really big challenges and I had to step in into a few challenging things and quickly I became chief merchandising officer. So I was dealing with the full team, with all of the buying for the company, with the merchandising initiatives and inventory management, etc. So it was, again, a huge learning curve and like constant learning for the time I was there. I probably left before, like I was still on the top of my learning curve, I would say. But I enjoyed very much the work there. And it was the first startup that I worked at. So very different environment from where I had worked at before. It was just very different, right? Like I was living in New York. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the first years of my career was like suits every day, gray shirts, white shirts. At Fresh Direct, I mean, it was totally a different environment. I had to go to Long Island, which is on the side of Queens. And I still lived in, in the city. It was totally different dynamics, totally different people, which I loved and It was always very fascinating to me to build something like that. So I had a really nice, interesting time there. So I gather you didn't miss finance all too much. Did you think you would go back to finance at some point or was you were just very into learning and the growth trajectory you had there? I have always thought because I wanted to lead a company, I always thought, okay, this is one of my goals. I need to know these areas. I need to have these skills that I build in different areas that you as a leader of an organization need to know, need to have been exposed to. Or So I think the financial topics were one part of that. And I wasn't sure if I would end up again in finance or not. Mm -hmm. I definitely have always loved it. And then I went into kind of much more operational roles to get the different skills needed for that role. So I never said I will never be back in finance, but... 
It was more like I always thought of my career as what skills am I getting on the road? Because I knew if my goal had been to be an equity research analyst or an investment banker, like only, I don't mean it in a negative way at all, but if that had been, then I would have stayed in Wall Street. But for me, it was more like, what's how do I gain these skills to understand these different areas? Because one day I want to lead a company, right? So I need to gain these different skills so I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking with a finance guy or lady or when I'm talking with, you know, the engineer about certain topics or the design person or, you know, the buyer. It was always like, how do I get exposure to these areas to strengthen my skills as a leader? That's how I approached it Hmm. more than necessarily let me have a fully focused finance path. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I love that thinking of what skills do you need to be an effective business leader and looking for the opportunity to learn those skills in the experience you're in. But I think it also depends on how you define your career, but also what drives your curiosity, right? Like if you're super excited to be the best, if what drives you is to, if we are an equity analyst in Wall Street, your goal is to be number one rated in institutional investor, which is one of the ratings of equity research analysts. And if that's your goal and that's what you want to get to and you, you know, start as a junior analyst or associate and then become a senior analyst, super good, right? You go very focused and you just go for that and keep going for that. And there's a lot of benefit to that, but I always had this curiosity and the curiosity drives me a lot to do new things. So was it curiosity that brought you to Germany, where you live today? It's a combination, I would say, because I met my husband, who's German, in Colgate, actually. I learned German at 13, and I was like, I don't think I'm going to learn that again. That seems really hard. That's when I started learning it. And And then I met him, got married in 2008. And actually, the main motivation or the main kind of trigger for that was we had both been in the U.S. for a really long time. I had already been there for 14 years and his father had a liver transplant in 2008. And so we thought, we don't know how this is going to go. It's actually a good time for me to get to know Germany since I don't know it that well. I had been here actually in Berlin in 1995, had I known that, that I would be here again many years later. But we then basically decided it makes sense for us to move there because we wanted to be close to our to one of our families. It seemed to make sense at that time to be close to his family for the health reasons I just mentioned. And so... We basically said, let's give that a try. And I said, well, German, it's your country. Like figure out that first and then I move and then find out what my path is. And that's what happened. So we moved to Munich in December of 2008. And I took a couple months to learn German and get to know the country a bit. And then after, I think in February, we moved in December and February, I was like, okay, now I need to find a job. This is getting boring. (laughs) You know, I didn't have children or anything at that point. And so... Yeah, I explored a couple of options and I explored actually also startups. But at that point, I felt like I didn't know any German A global organization made sense. And Alliance kind of showed up everywhere in Munich for me. You moved to Germany, you started learning German and then looked for opportunities. And then Alliance kind of popped up. Two things. First, how was this decision to kind of get back into finance again? It was a different side, right? if I gather correctly, what you did at Allianz. But that's one thing. And the other thing is you coming from a totally different working mentality, I would suspect. So how was that as an experience in Germany? 
Yeah, it was very interesting. Firstly, I joined a very global or I would say international team, more pan-European than, than global then. So I joined first not the insurance company. I joined the asset management side, Alliance Global Investors, which was already quite different from the insurance side. I think more dynamic in some ways, at least in the working ways. And then I joined a team that was full of Europeans, worked with the head of Europe outside of Germany, actually. So at that point, those areas were like one part with Germany and then was the rest of Europe. So I was working with a French gentleman who's still a good person to um, yeah exchange ideas with. He was leading the team and I was working with teams everywhere in Europe. So with a Spanish team, with a French team, with an Italian team, with a, in the Netherlands. So actually it was a really fun job. It allowed me to still have a very kind of not global, but broader approach, you know, coming from where I was coming and also still kind of talking to the rest of the Europeans, which is always very fun. And at the same time, I got into another area, as you said, of the business that I hadn't been in before, but where my skills, I think, were already very useful because the area that I joined was on the asset management side, right? So basically, I worked with in the area of Allianz that put together investment products, be it funds or segregated accounts for institutional and retail investors across Europe. So it was very fun because I, I could use my skills from a sales perspective because I was working with these teams one-on-one, management perspective, but also kind of product and financial product perspective. So I really enjoyed that part of the job. And then I took on a role which was more working with a European CEO. And then she became also global CEO, a wonderful woman. Her name is Elizabeth Corley. She's from the UK. And she was really just a great example of a great leader. I really loved working with her. The work also evolved a bit. I started to cover strategy, headed the European corporate strategy team. So it was kind of a different role, but very, very fun as well. Thinking maybe a little bit even more long-term, you know, on the strategy topics for the business. And then I worked with a global team on consultant relations and then led a couple of global projects for the Exco. And it was really very fun times. I worked quite closely with the Exco of Alliance Global Investors, and they were just a really great group of people. So I learned a lot from that experience as well. What would you say like high level were cultural differences when you think of your day to day, maybe of communication or what is professional on one side of the Atlantic versus the other? I mean, one of the things that was always interesting for me at the beginning when I moved was, you know, try to pick up the small idiosyncrasies of the country and what people talk about. And I remember I mean, I appreciate it very much. I don't mean it as a criticism at all, but I remember Mondays, like you would ask people what you did over the weekend. And I remember the Germans talking about their cafe and Kuchen and time and also visits to the nature. And I was like, wow, I was coming from New York City. You know, you don't go to nature on the weekends, actually. Not so often, at least not back then. And to be honest, also, I mean, in terms of work-life balance, I think that Germany is much better at that than the U.S. is, at least than my experience was in the places that I was at, maybe except Colgate, but being in a startup in the U.S. was quite intense and also Wall Street. So coming back to Allianz, it's still a lot of work, and especially in the later years when I had even more responsibility, worked really hard, but it was still different. A lot of respect for personal life, which I thought was very different. So there were a lot of, of pluses as well, many different topics that I learned 
Yeah, I also remember the question of like, how are you doing? And oh, why do you ask me if you don't stop to then ask more? You know, like, it's like, do you really mean it? <laughs> so I think it was really very cool. As a side note, I get that with how are you? <laughs> exactly. Uh, asking how, how someone is can be like in different environments. It gives people a little pause, like how deep do you want me to elaborate on this now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember that pause. Very cool. I'm fascinated always by going to different countries and cultures. You know, that's kind of how I grew up. Even though it was Latin America, there are a lot of idiosyncrasies in the different countries in Latin America, how people relate, what they do, what they wear, what they say. So it's always really just wonderful to actually go to a new place and really get into the culture. So if we were like to distill your experience, what was something either that you learned during those years or something that you already had and made you super effective at your different roles at Allianz? What would you say those were? I think I learned very well. And it's something that I think I'm generally good at, but to deal even better with different groups of people within an organization as large as Alliance, right? So hmm. I was working with the exco. I was working with the teams on the ground. I was working with people in my team and then with global colleagues, because one of the projects I run, I had a team that was from some women in Hong Kong to team members in San Francisco, people in New York, people in Frankfurt and people in Australia, right? So it was like all over. And so learning how to bring all that and effectively deliver was really fun and interesting. So really having a leadership role in a large organization like that and, and also how to develop your own leadership skills. I think those were really important things that I learned there. Obviously, I learned more about the business itself. So mm -hmm. like that, how the asset management business works from a different perspective, right? Because it was on the buy side and just totally different. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's the people topic that always is fascinating. And also how to create change mm -hmm. and manage change. That was a big piece because there were a lot of transitions that we went through when I was there. Internal things that happened, restructuring, how to set up new teams to make it work effectively across different countries or units. And I think those were really important skills that I picked up throughout. So yeah, I would say those were some of the things that I learned. Are there maybe some high-level nuggets that come to you? Maybe something you could share that someone who hasn't had this experience can take it as a learning for themselves, for their career? I mean, one topic that always comes up even today, right? Like never assume anything. I think that's a really important topic in working with colleagues, in trying to communicate things to teams. You can never over communicate especially when it's about vision and goals and where we are going and what are we trying to reach I think that's super important and that not to be forgotten and it's easy especially when you're in a startup now like to get very busy in the day to day and this is something that's like really really important I think at the end of the day one thing that's critical is you know you have a colleague but there's always a person behind you sort of see this person that you work with but it's a human being and so how do you when you're working with people what are their motivations what are they trying to get to what is their own style you know how can you actually strengthen the relationship with this person to make the output of the work better because at the end of the day if you do think about you put yourself in the other other person's shoes you try to understand where they're coming from, there is always a way to work together, you know? And so, and more effectively get to the goal. 
but you have to want to be willing to do that and to be flexible and to mostly flexibility in mindset in terms of trying to understand other person's perspective. And I think that empathy is really important overall at work with investors, with people in your team, with customers, especially with customers. So that's actually really important. And I think the other thing is no matter the size of the organization, the leadership of the organization is basically the one that sets kind of the ways of operating. You can have a lot of values written down. You can try to put things down, but at the end of the day, what people observe in the leadership is what the values of the organization really are. And it drives how they behave and the expectations that are set between each other. And so that's really an important topic to remember as a leader, right? It's actually not what you write down. It's how you act. It's basically leadership by doing, right? By setting mm -hmm. the example. I think super important. Let's talk a little bit about your move then from Allianz towards the startup space again, and also to Berlin this time. How did those shifts come about? I decided to move to Berlin because first, we actually did not only live in Munich, but then we moved to Hamburg and Berlin. So Allianz was actually super flexible with me. It was before COVID times, but I actually work remotely, a combination of remote work and also travel mm -hmm. that made it effective for me. And so The move to Berlin was mostly driven by a job change for my husband. And I basically thought, okay, well, he's moving. I'm going to move too. We had already a family. And so that's how we ended up in Berlin, but also because I thought it was exciting to move to Berlin. But I think it's a great city. And so and that was back in 2014, being in Berlin and living here. I was still working for Allianz for a few years. And then my son came, my second son. And so that gave me a little bit of a pause. During the pause, I decided to explore Berlin and the startup scene. So I was in my maternity leave, I was going to like these startup safaris and just developing my network in Berlin and realized, oh, well, you know, this is a great place to, to join kind of back the startup world, which I had really enjoyed when I was at Fresh Direct because of how dynamic it was and the challenges, the variety of the challenges that you face as a startup, you know, leadership I decided to do that. And how I learned about Liquid is, was actually I met a guy in one of the startup safaris who then became a friend and he knew kind of that I was exploring New Horizons and saw this session that was going to happen at Liquid and he knew that I was in finance, that I loved startups. So he was like, look, this session is happening. Why don't you just go and check it out? And so I went and checked it out and it seemed like a really good fit. And so I engaged with the CEO and started to speak with him and it worked out quite well. And so I became chief commercial officer at Liquid. And that meant I was working closely with him, leading the organization in terms of kind of customer, customer service, transitioning customers that basically had come through by marketing to the website into making them customers, helping him with HR related topics, helping him with strategy topics, building up the sales team. So Yeah, it was a different time and I was very excited because it felt like a really great combination of different areas for me. It brought the finance topic together. It brought the customer orientation that I had gained in the years at both Colgate and Fresh Direct and also, you know, my financial skills and leadership skills. So it was actually a really interesting time for me. And I also 
So Liquid is a basically digital wealth manager based out of Berlin. At the time I was there, it offered a private equity fund of funds and investment portfolios, active and passive to investors, basically. And then they have evolved into a much wider offering for affluent investors. That's their focus. And so it was super interesting and exciting because I got to learn, you know, how a fintech startup is run and set up and all of that. So yeah, I enjoyed it very much. And now can you draw the the parallel and, and the bridge then to vitamin and to what is your current focus, your main focus today? Definitely. So actually during that time that I was exploring the startup scene in Berlin, I was also exploring my own skills and thinking, what do I do with my skills and what could my place of service be? Where can I add value? I guess I had that question out in a way to the universe or whatever, exploring and all of that. And then my sister called and she said, you know, I've saved some money and I want to invest it. And I said, okay, well, let's get you started with some ETFs. And she's like, what is that? And I was like, you, you don't know what this is. And she's very different from me in the sense that she's a lot more focused. He's, she works in development. She's super smart. She, to this day, calls me for number-related questions because she's less of a numbers person than I am. Let's say much more of a writer and very focused on very interesting, impactful topics, actually. But so I was like, you don't know that. And then I asked her, what about you ask your friends if they know, what are they doing? These were women, you know, went to like Harvard, Chicago, and they were like not doing much with their money or had no clue what an ETF was. So I was like, oh, wow, this is a big gap. And so I actually in 2015 already had sessions at home with women. I had them in my house and I started to bring forward like this idea that there's a gap and that we need to do something in a different way to address it. And then vitamin came about because after liquid, I took some time and decided that I wanted to actually get more into this area. And so I started to develop a coaching program for women on financial topics. And I first ran a session with a friend of mine who was a nutrition coach. And after I living liquid a few months later, I was like, okay, we I have to start. And so we had a workshop with women in Tuscany a long weekend where we built a kind of holistic workshop with different topics from goal setting and driving your vision, personal vision, et cetera, to nutrition and finance. And that was the first one. And from there came a few clients who then wanted financial coaching. And then I did that for a bit. I focused on that, did a couple of other things as well on the VC side, et cetera. But this was like a thing that stayed with me. And so the first round of the pandemic last year, I was like, I have to start. I think it gave me that motivation where I was like, I have to make this bigger. And I already had the thoughts of what this could look like, but I hadn't found someone to do it with. And I actually started working with a friend in like this idea, something similar. And then she said, you know what? I'm not a, I'm not a founder. I want to have a job. She's a product person, tech. And then that was fine. But then she saw my co-founder's post on LinkedIn and said, you know what? You should talk to him. And he seems to be exactly trying to do what you want to do. So, and that was the case. And so I met Artyom, who's my co-founder at Vitamin. And we started to work together, met at the end of August and worked together in September and October to really get to know each other, understand our vision for what we wanted to build, and then raised our pre-seed round at the end of the year, which was very fast because our pitch deck, we did the pitch deck in November and raised quite quickly after that. And yeah, so we raised our first pre-seed round and we're now have been building Vitamin, which is, it's a financial solution, a financial app for women to basically help them save and invest. It's still early days. I mean, it's been like, I guess now six months or so that we really started to fully build a team and work on it. 
but it's a very needed thing, I think, because you know, women haven't been socialized to think about investing as an option for building their financial future, but it's critical that women do that because first, the later you start, the less you have your money compounding or growing. Women have different situations in their life, which take them off work potentially, or where they have to reduce the amount of time they work, whether it is having children, taking care of loved ones, that means they contribute less towards their retirement we already know that in Germany, there is a big gap in terms of retirement benefits that women get versus men, but also the amount that they get is just simply not enough. So in order to supplement that, women need to save and invest from early on. And the sooner they start, the better it is because then they can leverage really the power of the financial markets in the long term. And so that's what we're trying to bring women to do. We're trying to explain things in ways that are very, yeah, relatable and that hopefully resound well with women and at the same time build their financial knowledge so that they can take the right actions for themselves. And at the same time, I want to, I think of building vitamin as building like the next big consumer product because we want to make it really accessible to women. That's what we are up to now. And it's been really great so far. We have a wonderful team now that we've been able to, to attract to help us in this big mission. So we're excited. Just speak a little bit more about the customer persona. So who are you really targeting? So women, yes, but certain type of women, because I know like also from my own experience, I know that there's a lot of reluctancy sometimes because people think they have to be rich to invest, which is absolutely not true. So who is the customer persona in your view? What type of women do you look to serve? Yeah, I mean, we have defined a few personas for ourselves. And what I often say is, you know, we're trying to get women to shorten the time from when they need, like when they start learning to actually action, because that's the most important thing, right? To start as soon as possible and to start with as little as you can, but to start. Because when you start, you start seeing the power of investing. And so you will be really motivated to do more. You realize, okay, I put whatever, 25 euros every month, that's adding up. Maybe I should do double that. And you find ways to do that, whether it is because you have a small salary increase or you just simply save more make different choices. So, so that's super helpful. And in terms of the personas, we have identified a few and we're building different, I think, aspects for a couple of those personas. So the investment solution is probably something that's going to be very attractive to someone who's closer to making that decision. So who, you know, either has been exposed to it a little bit before or is interested in the topic, etc. However, we have some other products that are for less evolved customers, let's say, in, in that path. So women who maybe haven't started building their emergency plan that haven't been very accustomed to savings. And that will be something we build later later on. But we also want to supplement all of that with educational tools so that women learn in an easy way the things they need to learn to take care of their financial life. And across these different areas of like, because basically it's like income, right? Income is a starting point. How do I increase my income? And there are many ways to do that. Are you a freelancer? Are you employed? Are you, do you have career goals? Do you have salary goals? Are you closing your own salary gap, right? That's super important. Yes, there is an 18% gap published number in Germany. Question is, what are you doing to close your own gap, right? So then it's budgeting and saving. So teaching women to understand that you should be saving like 15 to 20% of your salary, 
And the less responsibilities you have and the younger you are, the more you should save because later in life, it's a little bit harder, potentially, depending on how obviously your career evolves and all of that. But given like that, if you may have children or not, you know, different responsibilities, taking care of loved ones, different things come up. And then, of course, investing and tools for investing. So that's how we think about it. Speak a little bit more about this approach of being focused solely on women, at least for the time being. And why are other tools which are available now, even like apps where you can sign up and within 24 hours almost, you can already start trading. So why are those not, what are they missing when they work with women or focus on women? For me, it's, or for us, it's super important that it's not just a super transactional based approach. They need to learn, they need to feel confident, and they need to relate to someone who is actually knows what they're doing to an expert that helps them to make that call. So that's quite different than sort of some of the apps that are there that are not very long-term focused, but maybe are much more sort of trading focused and also very transactional. And that's at least what we know is that basically only, I think, 12% of customers customers of these apps are women, at least robot advisors in Germany. So there is a different solution needed, clearly. So Vitamin started six months ago, you mentioned. Is the product already available? Like, can people already sign up? Or what is the, the stage you're in at the moment? People can sign up to be part of Vitamin now. The investing product is not yet available, but we've been running an MVP, which we opened to the public in October. And so Customers will get to learn and experience more about vitamin when we launch that and investing is coming next year. And that's, I think, where women will definitely be able to take those investing steps that we want them to take. But in the meantime, I mean, there are a lot of learning tools that we have now brought up on the website, like courses, which are already helping many of our users. You can still already register to get access to some other courses that we have then you'll be able to register soon for the MVP. So yeah, there is stuff there that you can already start using, but investing is only coming next year. I hope we get to do a, a second episode at some point and dive a bit deeper into vitamin. Yes, happy to do that. For now, what is something that you now know that you wish you knew much earlier? I mean, every part of my career has been super influential in my life. But I think taking this step to start a company, the sooner, the better. It didn't mm. come necessarily sooner, but I think there's so much you learn from that. You know, I don't know if I would have done it differently, but because the opportunity didn't come or I didn't have like that area of passion or, you know, mission that I identified with vitamin, but take risks, take try to call the risks you can, the younger you are. There is no need not to do it because mm. life is too short. So I think... Yeah, that's something that I would maybe do differently, even be more risky. If you ask some people, they think I am very adventurous. I mean, I would say I could be a lot more or could have been in the past. So maybe that would be one thing. And I think the other thing that I have learned is reframing fear over the, the last years. Like, I guess I grew up in quite a conservative society. It's kind of very protected in a way. And I think over my life, I have sort of reframed fear because when you get fearful, actually, it's a pretty good thing because you realize that you're just about to experience growth. You're jumping into something new. And so that's exciting. And so kind of learning to dance with fear and see it as a positive thing rather than a negative thing. I think that has been a big learning in my life over time. 
Not that I don't think necessarily fear stopped me very much in life from doing things, but it's more how you perceive it that then makes the thing a lot easier. So I think that's that's really important. We talked earlier about defining your career. And I mean, for me, it wasn't fully defined. And I think it's like you saw the path as you go through it and you get surprised of what it brings you. And I think it's always good to have a balance between, okay, I have a strategy for my life kind of thing. Like I have a vision and this, but then also being flexible on the way Mm -hmm. because you get really surprised nicely. And so I think that being able to have that balance and flexibility and at the same time, sort of following your heart and the things that pique your interest or your curiosity, it has been really valuable for me. I'm also like very focused on people and I think it goes back to our human needs and what we each want to drive in our life and having a deep understanding or trying to have an understanding of that with the people that we work with, we live with, we deal with. And like thinking, you know, as I said earlier, what are the motivations? Why is someone doing this? Can really change the way things work out in a relationship, whether it's a working relationship or a personal relationship I mean at the end of the day like we're all people right and I think having kind of a human approach to life and like it always pays back and Mm. I think that's sort of how I lead my life and lead my company and I think that's an important thing to keep in mind That's very powerful. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. I'll link your website and everything um, in the show notes as well for anyone interested to check the courses already. Final thing is, if anyone listening would like to reach out to you, what would be the best way to do that? I mean, there are many ways, but you can go on our site. Actually, I think there's an easy way there to reach out because we have a link to our personal emails there, but also on LinkedIn, super easy to, to reach out today. So you can find me there. And I would be happy to hear from from anyone, whether it is folks interested in joining us. At the moment, we're looking for engineers, so that would be great. And love to to hear from people there and also people interested in the topic. Super welcome to reach out directly. Andrea, thank you so much for taking the time. What a lovely conversation. Yes, thank you so much. It was great to meet you and to get to chat with you. And I wish you an ongoing great series of podcasts. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you're new to the show, I hope you will check out my previous interviews. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any new episode. If you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For the show notes, please head over to our website, womeninfinancepodcast.com. Thanks again, and until next time, keep well. All opinions expressed by Andrea and her guests are solely personal opinions and do not reflect the opinion of any respective organization. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as basis for investment decisions.